Welcome to the Highland Church Podcast, where we share biblical teaching to glorify God and to bless you. This year, we're talking about my part, God's plan. God has a purpose for you, and that purpose is a part of God's bigger plan for the world. Now, if you connect with what you hear today, I hope you'll join us online Sundays at 10 a.m., or that you'll join us on-site right here in Memphis, Tennessee. Now, let's jump into today's teaching, and don't forget, you're part of God's Good morning, church. That's what we're talking about today, the miracle of faith and the God of grace. It's actually my longest sermon title ever. And so uh, you may be like, that's no big deal, but just think about it for a second. Most of my sermons are titled something like two to three words and the sermons run about 25 minutes. How long do you think? <laughs> this one's gonna be buckle up, it's coming, right? Hey, before we start, we're gonna be in Genesis 21 today. If you wanna turn there, you can. We're also gonna be in Romans four. So if you wanna bookmark Romans four and then open to Genesis 21, that'd be great today. If you're following along online, it'll be down at the bottom of the screen. It'll also be on the screen in here this morning. If you don't have your Bible with you, that's no big deal. But before we go there, let me do a, a brief update on Ukraine and our involvement there. Many of you, maybe our guests this morning are watching on, online, our, our guests. And this church has a deep connection in history in Ukraine. And so I've updated some about our two missionaries there and where they are now. One of those is safe, a, a refugee in a neighboring country. The other is still in Ukraine. And so the one who's in, um, out of Ukraine in Slovakia, he spends his days serving refugees. And then the one who's still in Ukraine spends every day shuttling brothers and sisters to the border, buying medicines and food and taking those back to those who can't leave. And so I want you to know, we asked a couple weeks ago if you would help us to bless those in Ukraine through these missionaries, these partners. And I want to let you know we have raised $50,000 that we are sending there. And I just want to celebrate that. And thank you for that and praise God for that. And so that money is being sent in small chunks week by week because of the banking system there. We can't send it all at one time. But each week, the dollars that you sent are buying medications, food, gas to get people to the border. You are making a difference in Ukraine. I want to thank you for that. Let's pray as we begin. God, we give you great praise. I give you great praise for what you're doing in this church, what you're doing at this church to bless the world, to bless those who are in desperate need on the opposite side of the world. God, and I'm thankful that each one of those dollars are opening up somebody's heart to the message of your gospel, most of all, God. And so I'm thankful for the safety and the blessing and the provision and food and medications that that's providing. But I pray, God, that ultimately it would open hearts to receive your son, Jesus Christ. God, it's in Jesus Christ that we pray for peace there above all. And we pray in the confidence of the mighty work that he has done on the cross that you will grant that peace. And we pray in his name, the name that is above every name. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Growing up, Mr. Scott owned a flower shop. Now, Mr. Scott was my best friend's dad. And so we'd hear about the, the goings on at the flower shop all the time. And here's a couple things you could do with Mr. Scott at the flower shop. You could order flowers to be delivered to your loved one. You could go buy a card on a special holiday for somebody. But one of the special services that made this flower shop different was that you could rent a stork from this flower shop. 
And so I can remember every Friday night, Saturday morning, I'd spend the night over at my buddy Tom's house. We'd hear early in the morning, before the sun was up, we'd hear Mr. Scott rustling in the garage, knocking things over as he was picking up these big plywood storks. And he would leave the house really early and he would drive across town and he would hammer in these storks into the front yards of families that were bringing home a baby from the hospital. So maybe grandma or grandpa had ordered this stork. And so there was a blue stork if you were having a boy coming home from the hospital or a pink stork if it was a girl. And so you'd roll up in your minivan to the house with this baby in the back seat and you would see that stork and you would just know that the whole neighborhood knows our blessing has arrived. I think about Mr. Scott and I think about the stork as we come to Genesis 21. Genesis 21 is the arrival of the long-awaited son of Abraham and Isaac, or and Sarah. The son is Isaac. Okay. This is this baby, when I say long-awaited, this is the baby they have been waiting on for 25 years. And they're not young now. When, when they got the promise that they were going to have a baby, Sarah was 65 years old. She's now 90. I just kind of have this image in my mind of them driving home from the hospital in the minivan. She's in the back seat, you know, by the baby, and they pull up into the yard, and here's the blue stork in the yard. And everybody knows now. Everybody who's been waiting for years and years, watching Abraham and Sarah do all these crazy things for this God they keep talking about, everybody knows now that that God has finally provided the blessing. Okay. I think about that blue stork and Mr. Scott when I come here. Come with me to Genesis 21. Let's look at this together. If you're an underlining person, or if you're a write-in-your-Bible kind of person, I'm going to tell you a couple things to underline, a couple things to write. Let's look at this together. This is Genesis 21. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah. If you're an underliner, underline that line. Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he'd promised. Sarah became pregnant, and she bore a son to Abraham in his old age, at the very time God had promised him. You see those two promises right there? Promise and promise. Underline those if you're an underliner. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. That's what Isaac's name means. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And she added, who would have said to Abraham and Sarah, that Sarah would nurse children? And yet I've borne him a son in his old age. All right, we come to this scene. And this scene is a couple thousand years old. Let's be honest, it's a couple thousand years old. It is a distant scene for us living here in 2022. And so what we do is we kind of pick up this telescope and we're looking at this really distant scene here at the very beginning of the Bible, some of the, you know, the first people of God, the story of Abraham and Sarah. And we're looking at this scene and we're trying to make sense of it. And fortunately for us, you and I have this advantage that not everybody had for years and years, but we have the advantage of this guy named Paul. And Paul writes a lot about this moment in Genesis 21. Really, he writes a lot about all of Abraham and Sarah's story, which stretches from Genesis 12 to Genesis 25. But he zooms in on this moment of Genesis 21. And so what we're going to do today is we're going to kind of take what Paul says in Romans 4, and we're going to screw that on the end of this telescope like a zoom lens. And I think when we look through that, what this story is about becomes crystal clear to us. 
And in some ways, it shapes our whole, our whole faith and our whole story. You know, again, this sermon title today, The Miracle of Faith and the God of Grace. What we're trying to understand this year is my part in God's plan. When we talk about God's plan, we're talking about what's the big thing that God's been up to from the beginning? Where's this whole story going? And Paul, to make sense of all of that, God's plan looks at this moment right here in Genesis 21. And for Paul, the arrival of this child, Isaac, is confirmation of the favor and blessing of God. And in some ways, because Isaac is the the ancestor of Jesus, he's the blessing to Abraham. And we remember that out of Abraham's line, there's going to eventually become one who blesses the whole world. So Isaac is the forerunner of Jesus. So Paul's looking back on this story, looking back through the work of Jesus on the cross, his death and resurrection, looking all the way back to Isaac and then Abraham. And he sees this moment as not only just the blessing and favor of God, but in some ways the salvation of Abraham. You know, this is the moment that gives Abraham's whole life meaning and eternal significance. This is a big moment for him. And so he's looking back on this moment and he's helping us make sense of it. The other thing about Paul that we got to remember is who Paul was. Paul was a pretty bad guy. He's on his way to persecute Christians when he's knocked from his horse by Jesus. Jesus totally transforms his life. And what Paul's trying to make sense of is he looks back on the Abraham and Sarah story and he looks at his own life is, is this something you earn or not? Can you earn God's favor or not? And so Paul has two stories at his disposal. The first is the guy that comes before Abraham, and that guy is Noah. And do you remember how Noah is introduced to us in Genesis 6? Noah is introduced in verses 7 and 8 and 9 as somebody who God favored because why? He was righteous and he was blameless and he walked with God. All right, think about this with me for a second. If all that we had was Genesis 1 through 9, We didn't have Genesis 10 and following. We didn't have Exodus, Leviticus. We didn't have any of the New Testament. We just had Genesis 1 through 9. We would actually have the substance or the making of a pretty good religion. We have our creation, our design, our purpose as human beings. We have the desire and intent of a God who desires that he would be glorified above all else. And then it comes to this climactic moment when you have this guy Noah who is righteous and blameless and walks with God. And when God wipes away the sin from the rest of the world in a great flood, he saves Noah because why? He earned it. He earned it. And so the message would be, if we didn't have anything else, what would the message be? You can earn this. That's right. You can earn God's favor. So Paul knows that story, but he knows his own story too. He knows he didn't earn anything on the road to Damascus. That is not how it worked. And so he looks back at this guy, Abraham, and his wife, Sarah. Now, do you remember how Abraham is introduced to us in Genesis 11 and 12? Nothing about his righteousness or his blamelessness that he walked with God. He's just this dude, Abraham. Just this guy. And for some reason, Paul's looking back and he sees God just picks this guy, Abraham, 
and decides he's going to bless him in Genesis 12. He just picks this guy, Abraham, decides he's going to bless him and bless the whole world through him. And in Genesis 21, finally the blessing has arrived and he's convinced Abraham did not earn this. It all came by what? Grace. That first line we see in Genesis 21. What did God decide? The Lord decided to be gracious to Sarah and give her the blessing that she didn't deserve. So Paul looks back on these two guys, Noah and Abraham, and he says, Noah is not our dad. Abraham is our father, our father in the faith. He's the example to us. So look with me here at Romans 4. Come with me to Romans 4. Let me show you this. Starting in verse 1. What then shall we say? That Abraham, our forefather, there's that word, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter. If, in fact, Abraham was justified or saved by works... He had something to boast about, but not before God. But what does Scripture say? Abraham believed God, had faith in God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. If you're an underliner, underline that and write Genesis 15, 6. That's where that's from. All right, let's go on. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. However, to the one who does not work, but trust God who justifies the ungodly. Their faith is credited as righteousness. So he's trying to summarize what grace is here. What he's saying is grace is not something you earn. You can't work your way into it so that the, the boss has to pay you. Or I was thinking about some friends of ours. They went to Disney a couple weeks ago. And um, if you go to Disney, you can buy this pass to get in the front of the lines. You know about this? And you go to Disney and you've already had to sell a kidney to pay for this trip. So you don't want to spend any more money. And then you go there and the line's two hours long and you're like, how much is that again? Right? And then you pay for the pass so that you can go to the front of the line. Okay? That's a, that's a pass that you have earned. You've paid for it. Grace would be like some Disney employee just walking to the back of that two-hour line and saying, hey, you, why'd you go to the front? You make everybody else really mad. Okay? <laughs> But that's, that's what grace is. Grace is the unearned favor of God. But pay attention here. Look back at this passage. It looked like there was still something you had to do to earn the favor of God, didn't it? You know, you didn't work for it, but you had to do what? Have faith to be credited as righteous. Well, that seems like there's still a precondition on the grace of God. There's still a, a condition you have to meet to get the grace. I've been wrestling with that. I've been wrestling with that. So I talked to Alan Black, a resident smart guy. <laughs> and I said to Alan, I said, Alan, I said, Alan, if there's something attached to grace, it can't still be grace. It's wages. If there's something attached to grace, it can't still be grace. And he said, ah, unless the faith is a gift. Unless the faith is a gift. So that's what I've been thinking about lately. Karl Barth's this famous theologian, and he writes this just magnum opus commentary on Romans 4. And what he calls, what Paul's writing about here in Romans 4, is the miracle of faith. And this is what he says. Think about it. Faith necessarily begins where our human potential ends. He says, faith is like coming to this cliff where you're trying to understand God, this transcendent, eternal thing, and you're a finite and not eternal, not transcendent, and you're trying to 
understand this thing that's beyond you and you come to the edge of a cliff, faith begins if you step off that cliff. Right? It's, what, it's what exists beyond our potential as humans. We're talking about the divine and we're not divine. How could we possibly know that? And he says it's a miracle. It's a gift of God. So I've been trying to understand that. And what I thought about when he used that metaphor of the cliff was I thought about what you're thinking about, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. You remember this? Okay, Indiana Jones, The Last Crusade. You remember this. I know you watched that. I asked in the chapel if they'd watched it and a couple were like this. And I know those ladies watched Harrison Ford. You know. <laughs> His shirt's open all the time. You know they watched Indiana Jones. Okay, you remember the scene. He comes to this Indiana Jones. He's after the Holy Grail, and the Holy Grail can heal people, and his father is injured just behind him, okay? His father is Sean Connery. Remember this? Okay. And so he comes to this chasm, this just canyon that's impossibly far away, and there's nothing there. And he comes to this, and he's standing at the chasm, and he's like, oh, my goodness, what am I going to do? It's a leap of faith. It's a leap of faith. And we hear his dad in the background, and his dad's like, Indy, you must believe, boy. I was doing that in the kitchen yesterday, and Lindsay was like, what was that? So that was Sean Connery. She said, no, it was not. You must believe, boy. Okay, you remember this. Okay, so he's standing there at this cliff. He's reached the end of his potential, and he sticks out his foot. You remember this scene? And he just slowly steps off and then he lands on something invisible that he couldn't see. And it's this invisible bridge which he, he then crosses to the other side to find the Holy Grail. And I think that's maybe one of the best depictions of faith I've ever seen. That we tend to think about faith as the decision that Abraham makes to step off the cliff. And our decision is a part of it. We've got to respond to the Lord in belief and baptism. There's a part that we own, but faith... It's not just that decision, it's the bridge that God has built to catch us so we don't fall beyond our human potential. And to that extent, it's a gift to experience faith. It's this miraculous structure that God has built to catch us. And so you think about it, every time you go to the hospital, somebody you love and the diagnosis is bad or something's going on with your kids, and you know how to deal with that, and your first impulse is to pray and in the moment of praying, you feel yourself buoy, you know, buoyed up, caught. You're not falling anymore. There's something holding you. I mean, that's what faith is. It's the invisible thing that God builds to catch us and keep us from falling. And so that reframes the Genesis story, not as Abraham and Sarah, these awesome people, but it's the story of God just coaxing them, inviting them out onto this bridge that's going to hold them. This thing I can't see is strong enough to hold me. So it's a miracle. It's a gift. And that's what makes Romans 4, 16 possible. This may be one of the most important things about God that has ever been written before, Romans 4, 16. I want you to underline it. Look at this with me. Therefore, remember Paul's looking back on the Genesis 21 story. The promise for Abraham and Sarah, it's Isaac. For us, it's our salvation. All that's it's wrapped up in, in Isaac. The promise comes by faith, which he understands to be a gift, so that it may be by grace. Now, that's actually the line that's been haunting me for weeks, so that it may be by grace. What's he saying? That God's plan, remember this year, my part, God's plan, God's plan from the beginning has been to bless an undeserving world, to be gracious from the beginning. His, his plan, his design, everything he's working through Abraham and everyone that follows coming to Jesus has been grace. 
so that it may be by grace. Now think about how different this is from human grace. You and I sometimes back ourselves into grace corners. You know what I'm talking about? Where the only way to get out of this situation is to be, is to be gracious. Let me give you an example. We were on vacation a couple weeks ago, and uh, we promised our kids ice cream after dinner. And so we're thinking about ice cream all day. I'll be honest, I'm thinking about ice cream all day. And we go to dinner, and what happens at dinner? One of our kids has a big meltdown, is really mean to his two brothers. And so we get in the car, and we're like, let's go get ice cream, you know? And we drive to the ice cream place, and the whole way he's throwing a fit, he's being mean to his brothers, and Lindsay and I are looking at each other, thinking to ourselves, he does not deserve ice cream. He does not deserve this. But here we're at a crossroads, there's only two options, because I still want ice cream. (laughs) His two brothers still deserve it, Lindsay still deserves it, she's been good, like she deserves this too. (laughs) And so... Either I can buy four ice creams and leave him out, make him watch us eating our ice cream. Or, and, and, and some of you are like, that's what I would have done, and you're stone cold. <laughs> I mean, this is vacation we're talking about. You're stone cold. All right. Or we can do this, and this is what we did. We can preach to him a sermon about grace. And that's the problem with having a dad who's a preacher. I'm like, son, listen, Romans 4.16. <laughs> I'm going to be gracious to you. You don't deserve this ice cream, but I'm going to get it for you, even though you haven't earned this ice cream, you know? And so we, I preached to him that sermon. He gets up and he walks down the aisle of the minivan and we sing just as I am right there. <laughs> you know, we, we backed ourselves into this grace corner. The only way out was to be gracious. Think about that. That's, that's how human grace works. Or, th- or think about this. You know, we've had this marriage, or, uh, marriage ministry at Highland called Grace Marriage that we've done for a while and took a little break during the pandemic. Grace marriage. I always thought that's the perfect name for a marriage ministry. Grace marriage. Because what do you learn in a marriage? This thing's only going to work if there's a lot of grace. Like that's what you learn. But here's the thing. Nobody goes into marriage to be gracious. That's not why you get married to somebody. Oh, look at her. I'd love to give her what she doesn't deserve. (laughs) Look at him. He looks like a crummy guy. Let's get married. I want to bless that guy. You know, that's not why anybody goes into it, right? You don't go into marriage for the purpose of being gracious. You just learn that this thing's going to work by necessity. There's going to have to be grace. How different that is from God. I mean, think about this, what Paul's saying. God doesn't get backed into a grace corner that he can't get out of. God has built the house, and it's a house of grace. His purpose and design from the beginning was a world in which he could bless those who don't deserve it. Think about that. I mean, that's the kind of thing you think about, so that it may be by grace. I mean, you think about that while you're washing dishes, throwing the ball to your kid and coach pitch, getting ready for bed. I mean, you're thinking about so that it may be by grace. And the only appropriate response is, God, my God. What amazing grace. What amazing grace. Let me leave you with this. This is the author of Hebrews. This is what he says to us. Look at this with me. This is what this means for us. He says that in our lives, you know, everything we're going through, everything we're struggling with, we're trying to make sense of this world, trying to make sense of what God is doing. He gives us really simple, but I mean, I think profound instruction. This is what he says to us. He says, 
because of what we know about God, let us then approach God's throne of grace. Hebrews 4.16, let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. I think about Sarah, she's she's looking out at this blue stork in the yard. She's holding this baby in her arms, the baby she's waited 25 years for. You think about everything that happens in those 25 years as you read the story. You know, 25 years, it it just ratchets up the impossibility of this miraculous blessing. Every day older they get, every year that passes, the likelihood that they're going to have a baby just decreases and decreases. If this baby's coming, what's it going to be? A miracle. And over 25 years, I mean, all of their sins and flaws, Abraham and Sarah, are exposed. They do some terrible things to each other, to others. I mean, again and again, I mean, their problems are just exposed over 25 years. So that at the end of it, I mean, she's holding the blessing and favor of God in her hands. I mean, she's experiencing God's salvation. She laughs because she realizes this God is like no other. This is the God of grace. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for you. God, today we glory in your grace. God, we know that like Paul, as we think about the fulfillment of that promise, the birth of Isaac, that we are led to think ultimately of your son, Jesus. We think about what John says, that Jesus came full of grace and truth, full of grace, God. And so we glory today in your grace. God, of course, I I would pray that you would make us into gracious people, but mostly, God, I just pray that you would draw us to yourself. As we see you more clearly, may we praise you as you deserve. I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.